What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. What's up, everyone? I am decked out in my Hanukkah, Christmas, Christmaka tree gear. Happy holidays. We're recording this during the holidays, but who knows when you'll be listening or watching this. I just had such a good interview with Jeremiah Aoyang. You're going to be blown away by this one. He's someone I've known for many years. He's been a mentor of mine in the community space for basically since I started doing this work 13 years ago. He's always been analyzing the space and understanding how businesses are investing in community. He used to work at Forrester as an analyst of the community industry. He then got into the collaborative consumption movement. And today he's doing a ton of work with Web3 communities and Web3 platforms. He's an industry analyst at Kaleido Insights. And he also advises a whole number of different companies in Web3 and community like Octane AI and Rally.io, who we talk about in this interview. And so the purpose of this whole interview was to give you all a really clear understanding of what it means for a community to invest in Web3, blockchain, crypto, what all of these things mean. But what we did differently in this is we didn't just talk about them conceptually. The second half of this interview, Jeremiah and I go through exactly what it would look like if we wanted to introduce tokens or NFTs or any of these concepts into the CMX community. How do we distribute it in the first place? What does it mean for people to own those tokens? How would they get them? What would the rewards be? What are the financial implications of it? Everything that goes into what it would look like for our community to invest in tokens or invest in a project like this so that you can think about if you want to bring tokens or Web3 into your communities, what that might look like. We go deeper in this one than I've ever heard anyone go deep into how Web3 applies to communities. I just learned a ton. I'm just buzzing from it. And who knows, maybe we'll end up launching a token for people who listen to the podcast for the CMX community. I don't know. Lots of ideas. We'll see what happens. But you're going to absolutely love this interview. Let's dive in. All right, cool. Let's kick this thing off. So you've gone very deep down the rabbit hole of Web3 in the last few years. You're one of the first movers that I know in the space, which is pretty true to how you've always been for as long as I've known you. You're always quick to identify new trends and get on board and study them and understand them and start shaping your career around them. So I'm, I'm really excited because I think we'll do something interesting in this chat today. And I would love to like talk through what it would look like to tokenize CMX as an example, or tokenize a community, we could use CMX as an example, so that anyone who's listening to this, who's building community today, not in Web3, will hopefully get a very practical, real idea of what it would look like if they wanted to start kind of bringing some of these things into the community. 
and the ups and the downs and the pitfalls and right and the the good and the bad. We have to explore all of it because mm. I certainly don't want my community friends to fall into a hole. That's good. The good and the bad, absolutely. Why don't we just start for those who don't know you to share a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing today in Web3 and the kinds of companies that you're working with as an advisor or consultant or part of the team. Sure. I'm Jeremiah Ao Yang. I'm a, I, the only title that kind of works for me is a technology analyst. And basically, when there's a new technology, I love to run towards it, it especially if it helps organizations connect to their customers or in today's conversations. It helps community leaders connect to their community members. And that has really been the, the hallmark of my career. Community was the first part of my career, David. I, in my 20s, I was the first community manager at a company called Hitachi Data Systems, and I created that title and everything. This is when Web2 birthed. It, we called it business blogging and online forums then, mm-hmm. and podcasts on RSS. We didn't even have the term social media. And then from there, I was hired at Forrester to be an analyst covering social computing was the term. And so community was my coverage area. And I tracked the first community platforms like Jive Intelligent and all those and wrote reports on it. So that's why you, I'm so such a fan of the CMX community and all the things that community managers do and lead because they're trying to most importantly change the culture of organizations to be more human. And that's a key thing. I love it. And so how did that lead you to the world of Web3 and what are those, some of the projects you're working on today? Yeah, so the lineage I just explained was social media. Then I went into the sharing collaborative economy, which you and I met mm-hmm. and I was doing speeches and tracking the market on that at Le Web in Paris. That's right. And then after that, I delved into a number of topics like uh, social audio and uh, tech wellness, which I still look at and track. But then I saw Web3 emerge. Now, this is not new. Crypto has been around for over a decade. But a number of things came together, like the forces aligned, quarantine, people wanted to connect to each other and they're using NFTs. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. They're also using Clubhouse and Twitter spaces to connect and they're using a myriad of tools. And then boom, the metaverse community said, well, we want a piece of this too. Let's make sure that metaverse assets are now tokenized. And so all these things came together. Somebody created the term Web3, not me. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a nice little catch-all. Well, we can discuss if it means anything or nothing at all. <laughs> and here we are. So yeah, sometimes there's like a, a pool that just attracts me and I just grab it and I run towards it. Sometimes I lose prior clients or revenues because I get passionate about something that I think is going to be really huge and it's really taking off. Love it. And I'll just point out, we're going to define everything we're talking about. We're going to define acronyms. We are not going to assume anyone who's listening to this already knows really anything (laughs) about Web3. We're going to make sure it feels accessible. So if you hear something you don't understand, we're going to go through that. Just real quick, I want to, just so people know specifically what you're doing, because you're doing some really interesting work with companies like Rally and others. (laughs) What are some of the projects that you're working with today? Gotcha. So I have my own firm with my business partners, Jessica and Jamie Shemansky, Jessica Grootman. And so that's a research analyst firm. But I'm also advising a number of companies in the space. For example, I'm advisor to Rally.io, which is social tokens, creator coins for creators to launch their own communities using tokens. I have my own coin as well called JAO with Rally. I have recently... I'm an owner. Yay, thank you. (laughs) We could talk about that. I've recently joined the board of advisors of Animoca, which is the largest NFT company and more, and Metaverse as well. They own Sandbox, perhaps in the world, certainly in Asia. 
And then also I'm working with um, Ben Metcalf, who I think you know, mm-hmm. in uh, Mnemonic HQ, which is NFT data platform and intelligence platform. And then there's some other projects as well that I'm working on. So yeah, a lot in the Web3 space. Love it. Yeah. And I think that was important context as we talk about what it means for a community to be tokenized or invest in this stuff. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, you're coming from a place where you understand it, you're working on it. Some of the tools that you're working with are literally like the platforms that are enabling this kind of transition. I'm curious, actually, on a kind of a personal note, because I do a lot of consulting and advising as well. It's a little bit unique in the world of Web3. I feel like a lot of the time people advise or consult or work in Web3 and they're getting paid not in fiat and cash and like US dollars, but in tokens or some other mm-hmm. kind of compensation. How do you get compensated when you work with these companies? Yeah. So it depends on the organization. But if I'm on the board of advisors or I'm working with um, a young company, then I'm receiving some equity. Mm-hmm. It depends how they're structured. It would be equity. But in Rally, I am actually paid in tokens. I'm paid in rally tokens. And so assuming I keep them, which I have kept most, I've swapped a few for to balance out my portfolio, I'm part of the long-term success of the project. And so that makes me a community member because I own the tokens of that project. I am also paid in some fiat as well because I still have bills to pay. Did you know that the PG&E does not accept Bitcoin yet? So I still have to pay with US dollars. Mm. Yes. Yet. <laughs> well, soon enough. I think Tesla, did they just announce they're accepting Dogecoin for Tesla? Yeah. Yeah. They did. We'll see what happens. It sounded like you said <laughs> merchandise. So don't know if that actually means vehicles. Yeah. You don't know if you could buy a car yet or not. Well, I don't own enough Doge, but maybe I could buy a Tesla <laughs> t-shirt or something. Yeah. Cool. And before we go down the Web3 rabbit hole, yep. which is inevitably what will always happen, I also want to ask you about a conversation that you and I had, I think this must have been four or five years ago. I don't know if you remember it. I do. It was at South by Southwest. I remember exactly like where we were in the conference center. I don't know why this conversation just like always stuck with me. Yeah, I remember you saying that. And I'm not bringing it up to even like do a, a told you so or anything. I'm doing it because it was kind of like a chip on my shoulder. I've always had with me because it was still like earlier days when I was first starting CMX and you were kind of transitioning from your focus on more pure community into more of the collaborative consumption world. Mm -hmm. We sat down on the floor on that carpeted floor in the conference center in Austin. Just near the blogger lounge, I believe, right? Exactly. Yeah. Literally outside the blogger lounge. I remember. And we're just, I kind of was asking lots of questions about the space and the industry and getting your advice. And I remember at one point you told me, David, I've been working in this space for many, many years, and I just don't think that community will ever truly get a seat at the table. Like, it's just businesses are not going to fully invest in it in the way that you and I want them to. And I'm curious now, four or five years later, I mean, who would have seen the whole Web3 part of things come? I'm curious what your take is on the community industry today, seeing how things have kind of accelerated since that conversation. I'm not as close to it as you are, so I don't know what the titles are of the community of the CMX members, like Mm -hmm. what percentage have VP level, C level. I just don't know. But when I was working in the space at Best of D Director, Mm -hmm. when I meant table, I meant C-suite. I meant executive table, really making the call. Because in many cases, the community was relegated as a support function where it gets cleaned up. However, the modern company is a tech company, and a tech company is building community 
And technology forges community, unless you're just like a, a Visa, you know, card or bank, bank account, right? It's not the same. So if the company is a tech company and product and community is forged, then absolutely they have a seat at the table to drive leadership because they're representing the product, which is community. But if it's a traditional company that might sell sugar water or home improvement accessories, I'm not confident that they have a seat at the table. So I think it might vary by industry. So that's what I think. Yeah. We have some data on it from the industry report we do every year. Last year, the data showed that community teams were growing and community professionals are moving up the ladder in terms of great like role, many more VPs of community, more people reaching that director status. Definitely. When we spoke, I don't think I knew a single VP of community at that time or chief community officer. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing a lot more of those start to pop up in the last couple of years. That's great to hear. And we're kicking off the community industry report right now, actually, as we speak. So we're, we're going to get some updated data on how those trends are evolving. But I agree, like C-suite, like being a chief community officer, being at that C-level is ultimately what it will take for community to really be a part of, mm-hmm. of businesses in the same way we think of product or marketing or other default. And good for you, man. By the way, some of the best entrepreneurs... Somebody says that to them that just gets under their skin. And it could be their best friend, right? It could be their investor, right? It could be their spouse. And it sticks with them and they're like, I'm going to prove that concept or that person wrong. (laughs) And so I love that we have that kind of weird bond. So good for you. We do. Yeah, it it always stuck with me. I'm just like, nah, I'm going to prove Jeremiah wrong. Do it. Prove me wrong. Community is going to be a thing. Prove me wrong. (laughs) And well, like, I guess, what's your take on it now in the world of Web3? How are you? Sure. And we'll start defining some things now. When we talk about Web3, we're talking about blockchain, crypto. We'll define kind of the different elements of community in it. I want to talk through that slide you shared at a recent event. Yeah, maybe we could start there. Yeah, so we could start there, but I'm curious if you're seeing the role of community. Like, will Web3 native companies have chief community officers as a default? Well, they're probably young companies and not fully staffed, but yes, the answer is yes. Sure. I mean, it depends what type of Web3 company we're talking about. If we're talking about a software wallet called, you know, that you can store your cryptocurrencies, probably not as important unless it's for support forums to answer questions, but I'm not sure that's a full on community in that way. People may not expose their identities in the way we'd expect it. But if it's an NFT, projects, like the most popular ones like Bored Apes, or those are full-on communities. And if you don't have a community, you don't have an NFT project. It's a dependency. It's a requirement Mm. for that type of profile photo. Definitely. Yeah. So it varies by project. Yeah, absolutely. NFTs, when we'll talk about these DAOs, Mm -hmm. decentralized autonomous organizations, communities at the core, like it doesn't exist without the community. And actually, if you talk about wallets, there's also like a lot of wallets are just talk about MetaMask as one of the wallets or Rainbow, like releasing their own tokens and their own ecosystems and building a community out of those kind of Web3 components. So I think even for those companies, there's a good chance a community becomes a core part of how their business functions. I think that's true in most cases, unless it's maybe just a very transactional cryptocurrency trading Web3 product where people do not need or want to interact in that type of way. Totally. But yes, I think it can be a bonding feature or technology for a community to rally around. 
And especially during quarantine, right? People wanted to connect to each other. Yeah. Was, and they wanted to find tribes. Perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like Ethereum naming service, ENS is a good example, where it's very transactional. You buy your name on ENS like you buy a domain name. So I bought like davidspinks.eth. Nice. And it was very transactional, but then they launched a DAO and did this airdrop of tokens. And yes, there's a huge financial component to it for a lot of people, but there's a lot of people who really valued having those tokens and being able to vote on governance for the business and being a part of the business. So that's an example where something that was very transactional was converted into something that was more community and ecosystem driven. Additionally, they have their own Discord and sections of the Discord are only for people who have their Ethereum name. And it's actually, there's a term called coin gated or NFT gated, where it checks the software like a permission pass to allow them in. Exactly. And so, yes, it's being used as a feature for community building. Exactly. So, yeah, this is a good point to make sure that we're pausing and just defining what these things are. Mm -hmm. And you had a slide that you shared recently at one of the CMX events, and you just tweeted it, which was perfect timing and a good reminder, because I thought it laid out the concepts of Web3 and how it applies to community really clearly. So I wonder if you could just kind of do a quick overview of Sure. What the different elements of Web3 are as it relates to community building and community builders. Well, let's maybe start with defining Web2 and Web3. Yeah, let's do that. So Web2 was the promise that everybody could create media and that we could democratize the information and, and media. And I was one of the first analysts I was at Forrester hired to cover that. And this was a, a wonderful democratizing force. And we would quote the Clue Train Manifesto you know, all markets are conversations and information should be set free and stop the paywalls and reduce ads and and press releases. And we used tools, right, that were a little clunky at some times, but it did democratize information. Along the way, we got lost, David. Some smart people put together simple platforms that made it easy for the mainstream to participate. Some very big social networks, I think we all know what I'm talking about. And over time, they lost their way they didn't they broke our trust with the way they used our information or our profiles or made changes we didn't have control we didn't have ownership over the decisions of how that community was being managed we were not governing the community we were being governed and even our data was being resold we were not earning the work that we put in to those communities and that ended in disaster and even that ceos those ceos had to be drugged in front of congress and their hands were slapped so what happened web3 is the vision and promise. Notice my language very carefully. I don't actually believe we'll fully come to this promise either. I think we'll get halfway in a few years that the internet should be owned by the participants. Let me translate. The internet should be owned by the community members. Hmm. The community should be owned by the community members. And what would they actually own? Well, that's a deep philosophical conversation, but it basically boils into three areas for the most part. I've distilled down many of the definitions in the market. You would own your identity, you would own your data, and you would own the equity. So right now, those social networks can take our identity and use them however they want. They can take our data and resell it without our permission, without us ever knowing. And they can monetize us. Those are billionaires versus the normal person got paid nothing who is actually creating the content. Same thing with other video sharing sites and streaming sites as well, right? And music sites and streaming sites and gaming sites, right? This is beyond just a social network. So Web3 is about the participants owning the internet that they have. And the tools that they have at their disposal are tools that power 
a decentralized internet. And a decentralized internet in this case is, um, by the way, they're still dependent on social networks <laughs> to communicate. So let's not forget that this is not in isolation. So the decentralized tools would be blockchain, where the, each individual actually has a record of what's happening around the network, and that's called a distributed ledger. Now, let's not get too technical. The point is that the information is spread amongst the participants. And it also means that the rewards could be spread amongst the participants. They could own cryptocurrencies or tokens as well. So I'll just pause there. Do you think that was helpful? Absolutely, yeah. And I've been hearing a really good kind of breakdown that's helped me wrap my head around it, where it kind of summarizes what you just shared. Web 1 was about having platforms where you could consume content, Mm -hmm. right? Think of like the early AOLs and early platforms where you're just seeing content articles and you're consuming. Web 2 was about being able to create content on those platforms and consume. So you're still consuming Mm -hmm. content, but you can also create. So you're thinking about blogging, social networks. And Web 3 is where you own a part of the platform and you own the content as well as being able to create and consume it. That's right. Right. So instead of giving it all to Facebook, where you don't own all the content that you post on Facebook or on Twitter, you don't own part of Uber when you drive for Uber. Web3 creates opportunities to gain ownership through your contribution and own your data, own your content. Mm -hmm. And there's upsides and downsides to that as well with every single technology. Let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to frame this in what would be useful if I'm a community builder. I've been building community for any amount of years. Maybe I run an online community for fun or maybe I run community for a business. And I'm hearing all about Web3. Why should I care about Web3? What should I be really excited about? And what are the risks? What are the downsides that I should be considerate of? Mm -hmm. So I don't think every community should tokenize. I think it could be dangerous. And I think, well, actually, I'm I'm very sure that once you tokenize, the relationship changes. Mm -hmm. The relationship between the members changes. The relationship to you as the community leader changes. You might now have a tit for tat or I do this for that, or you owe me this, or I'm earning this, or now I'm super engaged, or now I have a seat at the table to drive the direction. If you're comfortable with that, and you're ready to let go of control, and your community has a clear and common vision and a mission to accomplish something, and we all agree on it, then yes, you can align and reward the right behaviors in your community with crypto or tokens or NFTs. Or, what, or frankly, U.S. dollars. It doesn't matter. These are just reward mechanisms. But if you don't have those set up in place, you've created some conditions where everything becomes a transaction. Secondly, David, and you're the community expert, this could also mean that by granting your community members ownership, whether it's direction or ownership of the data or ownership of the equity, it means it's a long-term commitment. How long? Months? Years? Decades? And are you ready for that? Mm, right. That's such a good point. Right. And the last thing is the really advanced communities like distributed autonomous organizations. Mm-hmm. They're called, in short, DAOs. Here's the best way to think about them. They're digital cooperatives, mm-hmm. like a workers cooperative where they have their governing power over tokens. The, the legal structure is very complicated and they have to set up and hire lawyers. It's just really complicated. So the mainstream is not quite ready for some of these platforms just yet, or these organizations. Okay, love to hear your thoughts as the expert. Yeah, well, so yeah, the first one on replacing the social motivations that go into community today, 
I think that's one of the biggest risks that's always stood out to me. I love referring back to Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, and the concept of market norms and social norms, and how we are motivated in this world by both social norms, like doing a favor for a friend or helping your family out, and market norms of, okay, I'm transacting, I'm giving value, and I expect equal or greater value in return. And his studies and the data he shares shows that introducing market norms can replace existing social norms. Right. So if you were to help me, ask me to help you move, maybe, you know, you're unpacking your airstream there and you needed some help and you just asked me to come help you, that would be a social norm. And I'd say, yeah, you know, Jeremiah is my friend. I want to help him out. I'm not expecting anything in return. It's maybe even an opportunity to deepen our relationship. Whereas if you said, Hey, David, can you come help me move? I'll give you a hundred dollars. That introduction of financial value will switch in people's minds. It would switch in my mind to say like, $100. Is it worth it to take that trip all the way down there? Is it worth my time? Like, why doesn't he just pay someone else that money? And so that's the biggest risk. Could I be doing something better with my time? Exactly. Could I ask him for more money? <laughs> yeah, should I start negotiating? If I do it faster, can I get 200 Exactly. Then the negotiation starts, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, like, I even had this experience recently where I have a good friend that we like help each other out all the time. We actually talk every week. And I became an official advisor for their company. And it like felt a little weird and icky to go from like, well, I've just been talking to you for hours for the last five years every week, just because like I care about you and we help each other to like now I'm getting equity as an advisor and like being involved in a more transactional way. It switches things and makes things feel different. That's right. And that's what happens in communities. And you have to show up to meetings, right? Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, now it's an obligation. It's not up yep. to me. It's like, no, I committed. So I think that's a huge one is when you introduce these rewards to communities, people can go from wanting to just do it because they care about the other people to like, mm -hmm. now there's this financial question. And the second one is a really good point. And one I'm not, I don't often heard talk about is the long-term commitment that comes with launching one of these communities, which is always true with community. I actually like, talk about this sometimes how if you're not willing to spend the next year or more investing in your community, then don't start it because they're very long-term commitments. But when it's a social community, there's no money exchange. It's still a long-term commitment to do it well. But like if at some point you're like, hey, y'all, like I'm really not motivated by this anymore. I really want to take a step back. People are like, all right, well, like you were just doing this as a social value thing. That's cool. But if there's a financial aspect to this and people paid money for tokens or NFTs or something to be a part of this community. And then you as a leader or you as a company were like, eh, actually, like this experiment didn't work out or I'm not really feeling it anymore. I want to back mm -mm. out. That's mm -mm. a very different situation when now people are at risk of losing money and actual investment because you no longer feel like you want to continue to invest in it as a community builder. That's right. But maybe we could talk about the upsides. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and I'm glad we're having this honest conversation. And we have to, right? And I think it's critical. There's a lot of rhetoric in this, in Web3, just like there was in sharing economy and social media, which sometimes I've propagated. So I, I want to come into it with an honest view. So let's talk about the upside. Yeah. Actually, before we go into upsides too, I just want to call out one other big downside yeah, that call I know you out. and I have talked about, which is accessibility. And the fact that like, if these projects are successful, that often means that the price of access goes up, which means people aren't able to participate in the community as easily. 
Yes, unless you offer lower cost opportunities or you rent out certain ways. You can create ways for other people to access, but in most scenarios, those who got in first uh, benefit or those who had the most wealth who could come in second and acquire assets will also benefit, which has um, significant issues because it sounds like a, kind of like a triangle pyramid scheme. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we got to be careful to structure these in the right way. Okay, so why would you want to reward and notice we're trying to keep the tech out of this conversation yeah well unless needed right because i understand that's a good call yeah and so why would you want to reward your community with any of these digital assets crypto nfts social tokens if you have a common and alignment and you want to reward good behaviors you could give them some of these tokens for example which would end up at their wallet and they would earn these over time uh, kind of like a dividend and so it's uh, we see this with other forms of communities like shareholders who receive dividends for holding on to the company's share or an employee who works there for four years. There's like a long-term shared outcome. There's another benefit. Some of the communities could be have premium communities and experiences and applications or content or online Zoom sessions. For example, CMX, you have a big holiday party coming up, right? Your gala. Mm-hmm. Imagine if there was an NFT that was only those who held the NFT, which stands for non-fungible token, horrible name, just think of it as a digital asset, but usually it's an image or a video or an animation. Uh, only those who held that could attend the online party and festival, and maybe only those who had these, the 2022 CMX annual pass, which is a, a rotating image, a gold ticket, it would literally look like that. They could purchase it or they could earn it, and they would get access to your premium communities and special content. And maybe they could even earn tokens or buy tokens. The CMX coin could be something they could earn or buy, and they would get access to strategic advisors, experienced community leaders, Mm. maybe a leader circle, or maybe they could purchase the latest community book on discount. It could be used in different ways uh, to for what we call campaigns or just like its own economy. So I gave a lot of different examples. I wonder if it was too much, but I just wanted to share. The big thing here is that Web3 turns communities into economies. Mm -hmm. It turns communities into economies. And we shared the downsides and the upsides here so you can understand that is the big transformation that's happening. And economies have communities already built into them. Right. The difference here is the economy here, the community is owned by the participants. Right. Your thoughts? I'm curious if we could articulate the value there because I understand conceptually, okay, we have a NFT, an NFT that people can, if they own, they get access to more exclusive events and experiences and things like that. Why is that inherently a good thing? And does that not create this dynamic of haves and have nots within the community of people with access or money who can afford the token or the NFT Mm -hmm. get access to things that the rest of the community doesn't? Right. But it could also be earn it. Earn it. Or maybe they had precedence and they've been in the community. They've been your biggest contributors. Those that have been the most helpful to others, you could reward them for their good behaviors. Mm-hmm. Or you could also set up a tiering, like those who help the most members or the other community members peer to peer, which offloads some work from the core community team. They're rewarded with whatever these cryptocurrencies or the tokens or the NFTs. Mm. So Basically, they're used to reward good behavior. It's not only about the big rich guy just uh, buying his way in. Yeah. 
I want to like articulate some of the value that I see in it too. One, having worked in community for 13 years professionally now, what's one of the biggest challenges that community builders have had? Maybe the biggest. Actually, the data shows that it's the biggest. Mm-hmm. Monetization. It's figuring out whether you work for a business and you want to prove the value of the community you're creating, or you are just building a community like your business is a community and figuring out how to monetize it in a thoughtful way has consistently been one of the biggest challenges that community builders face. And as a result, in the business, they're underfunded, or if it is the business, then they struggle to find financial sustainability in large part because it's all built on social dynamics. So it's a little bit weird to sell things to a community in the same way you might to a podcast audience or a newsletter or something else, right? Because everyone is co-creating. And so there hasn't been a really good way for the creators to monetize community. And then the flip side of that is for all the people who are creating value in the community, who are answering lots of questions, who are creating content, who are hosting events, There hasn't been a very good way to compensate those people and have them share in the upside of that community or that company growing. And so that's where I get really excited about Web3 in how it can help community builders have a very win-win symbiotic monetization approach to building their community and for the people in the community to now get to experience that upside Mm -hmm. and get to truly have ownership in exchange for all of the time and energy and effort that they put into the community. Good to know that that's one of the core challenges. And so if monetization is the issue, then this is definitely a way to do it. And in some ways, this could feel less transactional than using US dollars. Mm -hmm. It could be because you're using a branded token, right? You could be using like a CMX coin or a CMX member pass. It could feel a little softer, right? Yeah. And, you know, it could be fun too, right? So you could use that. So maybe we can compare and contrast. Instead of a, a US dollar, the cryptocurrency does have a few features that are unique to it. In particular, it could be software. So you can use it to have logic built into it. We call this programmable money. For example, there's one DJ and he's got his own coin using Rally and his fans and his community can vote up which songs he's going to include in the playlist. Mm. And you have to be a token holder to do that. The other thing is, that there's often rapid liquidity, meaning you could sell these tokens in the open market or transfer or swap them for something else. And that's something that's very different than loyalty points or Reddit's kudos points. As we all know, Reddit is now trying to turn those kudos points into tokens, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. right? Right. So we can see this is starting to change. And by the way, that's going to radically change the culture of their community too, right? I don't know if they're ready for what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be big. So I'm (laughs) curious to see what happens. So there's certainly, and you could use the tokens, like we mentioned 10 minutes ago, as to redeem for services or products or experiences. And that's a way to directly monetize. And that might be an easier way to using credit card and US dollars and people have to fill out expense reports. And then you have tax filings and 1099s. And it's just really complicated. So using this token could be a smoother, faster way. Hmm. I like, yeah, the utility of the tokens is a big thing. It's not just like a dollar. It's not just compensation. Like, yes, it has monetary value attached to it often, most of the time, Mm -hmm. but you can use those tokens for lots of different things. I also just think it's a different kind of social dynamic 
when, let's say you have someone organize an event representing your brand or something, it's a very different feeling to like pay them in US dollars, which just feels like, okay, like am I just a contractor now for the company? It just feels more transactional in that way than for this contribution, you are getting a token in the community. It feels very community driven. That's right. And less like I'm a paid contractor, more like this is me investing into the community I'm a part of. And there's also some engagement too, right? When you receive the tokens inherently psychologically, you're going to check on the price and value to see how it changes. By the way, this is both good and bad, Mm -hmm. but it, it just creates some intensity of the relationship in a different way versus a US dollar you just off on your merry way. Absolutely. All right. I want to make sure we spend some time talking about what this would look like in practice. And let's use CMX as a theoretical guinea pig. So CMX, been around eight years about. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's almost eight years now. Eight years. Wow. Yeah. And January will be eight years. Actually, we first decided to do CMX Summit in December. So technically from like starting the project would be this month eight years ago. Yeah, that's great. Congrats. So we've been doing this for eight years. Wild. I don't know why. I'm still not bored by it, but I'm not bored by it. Still doing it. And we have a great community. We have Facebook groups. We have Slack. Mm -hmm. We have uh, tons of events that we host. We have about thirty to 40,000 members across all of our different channels and newsletters. Gotcha. If I wanted to start experimenting with Web3 or bringing tokens into our ecosystem in a thoughtful way, if I wanted to launch a CMX coin, Mm -hmm. where do I start? Sure. So I at Rally.io, where I'm an advisor, I've onboarded over 30 creators. Each of them have, and creators, by the way, could mean YouTube streamers, authors, business authors, podcasters, social media, clubhouse influencers. Those are the types of folks that I brought on board. And so the, I guess one question we would start with is, what are some of your goals that you have with your fans or community members? We have very clear goals in two levels. One is the business impact for CMX. So how does CMX help us grow our business? CMX is part of Bevy now. Bevy's our software product. And so we look at who comes through the community and ultimately decides to buy the product. And we have community health goals. We really want our community to be welcoming, inclusive, actively engaged. We want to see more people raise their hand to become leaders and start organizing events or contributing content. Essentially, Contributing to the community leads to us achieving our mission, which is to advance the community industry and help all community teams thrive. Okay, so this is pretty straightforward. You know why? Because you have clear community goals. <laughs> so if we have, mm. like we've had some creators come by that were on TikTok, they have 5 million followers. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, what are some of your goals? <laughs> I don't know. More followers. Do people <laughs> click through on your things? I don't know. I don't think so. So I'm sorry, this is not a fit. Mm. Because if you don't have a business plan here and a marketing plan, then we actually won't let people launch. Mm -hmm. So this is really important. Not that we don't let them launch. They're just not ready to launch yet. Sure. Okay. So let's take that first one. So Bevy has, you have to grow the business, which means, and by the way, revenue and profit are not bad. It means that the things that we love can sustain. Absolutely. And what could happen in this model is Bevy could purchase and, if not mint, and own many of the tokens. So it's in their best interest and they have to hold up. There could be a lockup period for a number of years where they they slowly get it over time for the long-term success of the community. So if the project is successful with a CMX coin or NFTs, then Bevy's ownership of those coins will go up. Right. The price of those coins will go up. Right. So that also means they must support David. Mm. So I want to understand this point. 
Sure. Because I'm actually not totally clear on it across Web3. Gotcha. So this is people who launch these projects, the way they get compensated or make money from these projects are generally because they retain a certain percentage yes. of the coins or the NFTs that they release. Yes. And therefore, if the price goes up, then they're essentially earning more money that way. Yes, in a healthy one. We're assuming no funny, funky, scammy business rug pulls. Yes, that's right. Right. And so I understand this as well. So the company on day one, before you release it to the community, technically owns 100% of the tokens. And so the people who buy tokens are essentially paying the company to get those. So you're also making money on that first sale. And then you're making money on the growing value of those tokens. Mm -hmm. And if I'm correct, in many cases, you make a percentage of every time one of those tokens is sold between people. You got it. So let's just, for our our theoretical example, CMX, let's just say in this case, there's a million tokens that are created of CMX. Mm -hmm. And at the start, Bevy owns a million, and then they give two-thirds to CMX organization, your organization, to use for growing it. So so Bevy has a third. And by the way, Bevy can't just go and sell it on the free market. They have to hold it. That'll be part of the contract for X period of time. So mm-hmm. it means they have to support you, mm. right? And it means they have shared destiny with this CMX token, right? That's part of this too. Mm-hmm. Also, you and your executives and leaders, you will receive the CMX token as well, but you'll also have a payout and a lockup as well over time. So we don't, we don't want you to just grab them and liquidate them after trying to pump the market. Mm. So, and, but the mass majority of the tokens should be for the community. Got it. Right. Over 50%, maybe two thirds, right? A big percentage is for the community themselves. That's the only way the percentages would actually work. And so at Rally, well, this is not a Rally advertisement, but the, the team owns around 30%. The investors in the team own 30%. 70% is owned by us, the creators and the fans and the third party developers. So that's one model. Got it. Okay. So that's accomplishing goal number one, is that the the coin is shared amongst your constituents, your stakeholders, including your parent company, Bevy. Okay. So that's one. Right. So it's revenue generating itself. Well, I mean, yes, but I wouldn't say just revenue. It's growing equity, Mm -hmm. really. Correct. Right. Got it. Which could be used to sell later, of course. All right. So the second part, which is wonderful, community health. And if I heard you correctly, is you want your community members to contribute. And that's pretty straightforward, David, is you could put forth a menu of desired behaviors. So if they create a podcast or if they create a course or they lead a webinar session, right, or they answer questions in your Discord or your Slack, they could receive tokens as an example. I think we have to get be really careful about that because just answering somebody's question or giving a like symbol next to something, should that be compensated? Mm. I don't think so. But doing something with a lot of meat to it, like preparing a webinar course, you know, with five actionable steps in a working workshop, that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. They could earn those tokens and those can increase over in value over time. Mm. So to answer the second one, and there's a lot of details, we can go through these and talk about NFTs as well, is that you reward the behaviors you want and let them to own that. And as they contribute towards it, They also know, David, that other people who contribute to create content is increasing the value of the CMX coin. Let's say it starts at a dollar. If the whole community is helpful and thriving, more people are purchasing the CMX token in order to take the classes or to listen to the podcast or, and there's multiple ways to monetize it. It could increase the value of the coin 
to maybe $5, maybe $10. And so those that are contributing are going to feel more inclined to put their best effort in and also promote it. I'll pause for a sec. Got it. Yeah, this is great. I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah. But this makes a lot of sense. So, and it's very clear for us because we already have some very good leadership roles and contributor roles within the CMX ecosystem. For example, we have our CMX Connect hosts. These are people who sign up and commit to running local chapters all over the world. Neat. That's great. And so you can imagine them being compensated or being rewarded rather with tokens for every event they host, as an example. And that really encourages them to stay active and continue to contribute. That's one. Another one is we have our communityers program, which is essentially our moderators or the people who are facilitating community in our online spaces, right? And they show up every day or a couple days a week and engage in the community, moderate any spam or or bad messages that are in there, and they help manage the community. That's a clear one. Mm -hmm. Then we have speakers who come to our event and speak and present. You've done this Mm -hmm. many times. Imagine if you got a CMX token for speaking or being on the podcast like this or Mm -hmm. creating content in some way. So there's some very clear actions that are literally like leadership roles within the CMX ecosystem that we can build tokens around. And so I guess my one first question is, how would I distribute that on day one? Would I just give a lot of tokens to our existing leaders? Would I distribute all of that 70% on day one? Or is it really just like as people take actions, we would reward them with the tokens? How do you think about that initial launch or initial distribution? Yeah, I don't know exactly. And I'm not going to make that hard recommendation at this moment because I just don't know enough. But here are the options. One, and we could do a mixture. One is to reward those that have been super helpful in the past. Right. And many of them will expect that too, right? As a thank you. It seems like an obvious thing you'd want to do. Right. Yes, it really would. And maybe you start there, right? And you get them all excited and they'll tell everybody, look what I got, look what I got, because I've been a good contributor, right? And everybody's like, well, I want some. Totally. How do I get some? Well, you got to contribute. Look, here's the things you can do. Mm-hmm. And then you could show um, engage to earn, engage to earn. You've, in the gaming space, like Axie Infinity, you play to earn tokens. Engage to earn is being a good contributor towards the community health. Right. So you can do a number of things. You know, you can even bring in new members as a referral and receive tokens. Right. You could attend mm-hmm. um, sessions. You could take notes at a session. You could live tweet out what you learned at today's podcast. There, there's so many ways to do it. And these are right. called bounties or campaigns. Right. Right. And then the third way is to straight sell it on a marketplace. You can buy the tokens and you might want to give your members, I think you said 40,000 members, first access to buy the tokens and they could be the first to do it. Some organizations have had a lockup where they have to hold those tokens in mass for six months just to make sure there's no crazy economic up and down. So I've seen all kinds of things happen. So those are the three ways. Reward your amazing folks who have been here with you, tried and true. Let people engage to earn. And three, you could sell in the open market, which by the way, selling in the open market, the CMX token could be sold to obviously community leaders, but it also means people who are not community professionals may purchase the coin, right. which may be good, but maybe horrible too. So you have to think through all the permutations on that. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because if people believe in the community industry and believe in CMX, then they would essentially buy and sell like they would a stock or something else, whether or not they're in the community, mm-hmm. which could raise the value of it for all of our members, which is a good thing, but accessibility becomes the issue, right? Like Friends of Benefits is a DAO. That's an example of that, where it's like, yep. 
Let's talk about that. You can buy in to be a part of the community, but anyone can buy in trade FWB tokens, which now the price is very high. Mm-hmm. It's like a $10,000 to have 75 tokens. Yeah, it cost me when I joined $8,000. I think now it's yeah. lower because the price went oh, okay. down. So it's like 6000 But they have lower cost products because of that right. criticism, right? You can access an event if you hold fewer coins or access the They do the local for- five tokens now. Yeah, yeah, which right. still like five can be a lot and it will go up. And so anyway. So that's why you also must have the engage to earn, right? This is how we're inclusive of all people, right? Is you let them participate with their time and effort. Right. My criticism of that and the way it's playing out in Web3 right now is for something like FWB, like how to contribute is not an easy answer, mm. uh, not an easy question to answer. Even if you're in, I've been in there and I've been trying to figure out how to contribute. And it's still hard because there's like so many new things to learn, who's in power, where are decisions being made. It's lots of projects. So like there's a learning curve and that's after I've already bought in. So for CMX, actually something like us, it could work because we have so much that's free and open and accessible that there's a very clear on-ramp to getting to the point where they know how to earn by contributing. But for a lot of these communities, the barrier to knowing how to contribute is too early in the journey, in the community member journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're a mature organization. FWB is what, a year old, if that? Yes. Yeah, or yeah, it's pretty new. Okay, so there's some element here of distributing this like initial coin offering is what some have called it, or like this initial distribution of tokens. We're going to give... Yeah, that term is not used now. It's actually a negative connotation. Oh, really? Yeah, there we go. ICO had a, a negative period in 2017, so... That's not really used. 2017, is that? Wow, time flies. I thought that was like yesterday. (laughs) Okay, so what do they call it now? Like the first time you distribute tokens, is there a name for it? I think they just call it a a drop or a mint drop, which is also used with NFTs. NFTs, yeah. Right. Okay, so we're doing this first drop of tokens. We're going to find the criteria for who is just going to get them for free because they've already been contributing. Maybe they've organized events. Maybe people who have been a member of the community for three or more years or some criteria. And that's just putting tokens into the ecosystem. So now there's already kind of the economy being built around it. The rest of the community might be given the opportunity to buy first before we open it up to others. There you go. You got it. And then we're reserving some for our team, for Mm -hmm. ongoing community engagement programs, things like that. Yep. You keep it in the reserve. You have your own vault. Right. I guess that's another question I have is what is a reserve or a vault? Because if I want to continue to reward event organizers and others for these contributions, are those tokens are all coming from a vault or some sort of reserve I have? You absolutely, in this way, we're discussing it now. Yes, I think that makes sense that have a large portion. And what some projects do is they say over time, a small amount could be released every year to reward the community for good behaviors. You know, that could be one way to do it, but you definitely want to have some in reserve. So you have more options in the future because the worst thing you want to do, <laughs> the worst thing as an organizer is if you distribute everything and then the value goes up and you need to get some back so you have more management power or voting power or just equity, then you have to buy it back. Ugh, I, no. So right. you keep a lot of it in reserve. Yeah, a significant amount, like an amount that you in theory should never have to buy it back. Like you have enough that right. you'll be able to like distribute for a decade or more. That's right. And big companies often do this as well, right? And there's similar economics here. Okay, got it. Next question I have, why would I choose to do this with tokens versus NFTs? Mm, Okay, great. 
So the way that these two technologies are structured now, and this will change if we have a, probably have a podcast interview in a year, the way I was thinking about it for CMX, and I've been, you've been on my mind for a few days, is I think the NFTs could be used as the membership pass, kind of like a VIP card. I'm holding my hand up showing David like I would use a gold or platinum American Express members elite card, right? Mm-hmm. And this gives you access. And it also shows you're part of the club. And we see that there are some NFT projects that communities that do this, where you show you are an early member. And I could imagine the NFT project in your case, David, you would release it, NFTs to all of your members. If I had my druthers on how this would work, I'm hoping you would have these records. And the member, it could have the year they started with CMX to show how OG they are. And Mm -hmm. boy, would they talk about that Mm. and what they would show that off, right? And that would be in their crypto wallet and people would talk about it. And that would be a pass. A pass to what? It would open up the community tools. It would open up access to the base level events. Mm -hmm. Maybe it gives you access to the base level webinars. It's a membership. But I can do that with tokens though in the same way, right? Like there's not actually much of a difference there. Yes, the thing is, is the brag, right? Because the NFT is it's one item and it has an image or a rotating thing about it that can be shown off physically, really on social media. By the way, NFTs, non-fungible token, it is, they're both tokens. It is a token, right? It is absolutely token. In this case, it's being used as a digital asset. Mm. By the way, it could be anything. It could be a PowerPoint. It could be a PDF. It could, mm. NFT could be anything. But in this case, it's often being used as a membership pass today. And it's to show people that you have it. Yes, you could use the CMX coin to also gate, but the difference is the way this model would work is by holding the coin or the NFT, you could access these premium experiences. You can be offering multiple NFT memberships, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and each one gives you higher tiers. And you'd have to purchase these or earn these with different levels. You could use the CMX coin to purchase them as well. It's a little bit of a different thing because you hold that NFT in order to access those things versus, David, the crypto coin is can be used for the transactions. You redeem the coin. It's really about rewarding the behaviors and redeeming the coin for perks. It's kind of a different thing versus the NFT is like a physical digital object, like a membership pass. Mm. I don't know. Is that making any sense or is that confusing? I mean, it's interesting because like, as we're going into it, it sounds like they're not that different other than NFTs are usually come with some sort of imagery, some art, or something that makes it easier to share. Maybe it's a profile picture or mm-hmm. which people call PFPs. If you ever see PFPs, they're profile pictures. Profile photos. That's right. Or, you know, it's just something visual that maybe makes it easier to share and market. Also, each individual NFT will have, in theory, different value. That's right. Where like a token has the same value. All the tokens have the same exact value and I can buy and sell it. Fungible. An individual NFT, right? that's the fungible versus non-fungible, right? Like Bitcoin or Ethereum are fungible. They're all like every Ethereum coin is worth exactly the same and you're buying and selling it in a market, but it's the same across all Ethereum. Whereas an NFT, if I'm selling an NFT, I'm selling that specific token And so if we had art assigned to it, maybe based on how rare the piece of art is or whether or not people like it, that NFT could actually hold different value. And I'd have to sell it in a marketplace. It's not as easy to just trade. Like someone else has to want it and buy it. Exactly. That was going to be the point I was going to bring up in the difference between them. 
So a CMX token would have instant liquidity, meaning you could sell it on the market in a nanosecond because we know that one CMX token is worth this amount of Ethereum, right? Right. Or one CMX token is worth this amount of US dollars. We know it. The conversion, the number's right there. Boom, done, swap. Versus the NFT, like selling something on eBay, it could have subjective value where people might bid for it or you have to look at what other similar items sold for and right. do people have money right now? Do they want to buy things like that or are we in a down market? You know, right. So it sells typically not as fast as something like a coin. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I still don't really understand it enough that I would be able to say right now, yes, I want to do one or the other. I think I lean more towards token because it just seems more straightforward. Yep. Sure. It's all the same for everyone. We know what access you get if you own a token or X amount of tokens. Yes. And it's so just driven by the value of the community itself. Whereas adding NFTs to it seems like it adds these layers of complexity in terms of value and whether or not it's successful kind of depends like how good the art is around it or whether or not people actually like the art. It makes it almost more about the token itself rather than what the token represents a little bit more. It can. I'm part of some communities, like there's one for people who love e-commerce. It's called Club CPG. And the only way to access it, if you hold that NFT art and there's no tokens involved, but yet the community works. Mm. So it could be done either way. I would trust your instincts, David, since it's your community and those who you serve and work with to make the right call. But yeah, there's many tools that could be used here. Right. There's also an op, the token might also give Another feature that might be critical, which is in governance. Mm -hmm. And so this, remember, the, we started the conversation that the people in Web3, it's about them owning their data, their identity, and the equity, which also means the decisions. So the token makes it easy to vote. So, And you also know how many tokens they have and that you could have some weighting techniques. Careful, you don't want that rich guy to buy all the tokens and sway everything. So you can set up tools to prevent that. It, there's things called quadratic voting. But let's not get into that. So you could have, there's tools called Snap Snapshot, mm -hmm. and it checks to see how many tokens you have. And you could, first, you want to talk to your community members and then say, we're thinking about voting on this issue. What are the things we should think about? And then everybody you know, gives their inputs. And then you could say, all right, so here is the issue, and we're going to put it in the ballot. We've gotten everybody's input. We're asking the right question, and we will let the community vote yes, no, mm -hmm. on pass or fail. Mm. By the way, it's what politicians do. Exactly. But you could also do the same thing, right? So mm. that is how many communities are doing it. And so the tool, in this case, Snapshot, and there's others, would check using software and API. Does Jane, a community member, she's uh, one of those people who runs events in Austin. Um, does she own the token? Right. Yes. Yes, it does. It connects. It's done programmatically, right? All through software. Right. And it also asks, how many tokens does Jane own? Well, she owns 200, which is a ton because she runs the events, therefore give her response more weight. Right. In this case, you could do it that way. Or not, it could just be one for one. Right. Or you could do it one vote per, per one vote sure. per owner is another way to yeah. do it. And there's other meritocratic ways you could do it, which just to make sure that there's a balance between people with less are weighted properly with, you know, just like the Senate is split with House Republicans and, and right. Congress. Yeah. Super interesting. So on the governance component, because that's a big part of decentralized autonomous organizations, is that a requirement in a way? If I'm giving tokens to people that like they're going to have a voting power, is that what makes it a DAO as well as yeah. the introduction of governance and voting power? 
Yeah, that's probably heading. So in the diagram that I put forth and tweeted out, maybe you could share it. Like now we're moving towards the right-hand side, which is really more like the community owns more of it. So now we're shifting towards the community governing itself. And in this model, you turn over control in order for the community to grow bigger than you. It also means you do less so you can scale. And if you do it right, because you own CMX coins, David, it means the value of the coins grows because the community is taking over. But you got to have a really mature community to self-govern. As you know, I know you know this topic really well. Mm -hmm. So this is certainly not for everybody. And then if it spins out of control and there's no clear leadership, like one of the projects we mentioned earlier where you or that you're part of and you don't know who's doing what, it's too big, then they're losing the vision and the mission, right? So yes, a DAO um, means that the community makes the decisions and the governance, although there's usually a small team that's still responsible. But it, it, their role is different. They're servant leaders, right? They serve the community. In fact, they're often voted in mm. and those roles and the community votes should this person be in this role? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they're called delegates, like in ENS, right? Totally. Ethereum name. We voted for people to represent us in some cases. Right. So these are all classical Greek democratic methods, right? This isn't really that new. We're just using technology. Right. We're reinventing it just on a blockchain. Yeah, totally. So you don't have to do governance to answer your question. You don't have to have your communities vote on things. You do not have to do that. You can just use the tokens to reward or have transactions. Mm. And I'm imagining that adding the voting mechanisms and moving into actually being a DAO, it gets pretty complex there for existing corporations to be able to yeah. do that, right? Because now is it competing with your existing shareholders and influence? Like mm -mm. if we did that for CMX, like who's making the decisions, right? I can't see... Is it community members or the existing power structure. I can't see you CMX spinning out out of Bevy unless you already spin out as a separate LLC with a clean equity separation completely. Right. It would have to be its own entity. It would be easier, not telling you to do this, but to go start a new organization that's a DAO, right? Right. Yes. I can't really see it. And it's just so complex. You have to file in Wyoming or Montana and you have to like, and the rules can continue, the regulations continue to change if DAOs are even represented legally. And so Andreessen Horowitz has hired lawyers to go to DC to try to make them legal, right? So right. right in the middle of this. I would say if you wanted to allow the CMX members to vote, is allow them to vote on lower order things. Who should be our speaker? Right. Which book should be featured, right? What should be our specialty drink at the CMX in-person event, right? Mm, you know, right. you could do some things that are a little bit lower level and that aren't going to be critical in the full decisions. And that's a way to warm people up to it. That's a big point. You can pick and choose what you want to put to a vote, what you want to give people influence over. It's not like, okay, you run the company now, which frankly is true for DAOs as well. I joke around that DAOs should be called partially decentralized, semi-autonomous organizations. True. Because <laughs> there's still That's always totally a core true. team making decisions and they're not truly autonomous. They're still like employees. A lot of them still have C-Corps. Like they're more decentralized. They put more decisions out to the community, but it's not 100% decentralized in terms of decision-making and how the business is built. And there's also, I'm sure you've seen numerous studies like on the community dynamics, like there's often a small percentage that end up leading a community. This is no different than that. It's not fully autonomous, I agree. It's not fully a flat organization. It tends to have some hierarchy. Love it. Okay, another question, and we'll wrap up and start moving into a rapid-fire question round. But so if I'm going to launch this, I feel like I have a good understanding now of I'm going to create this token or NFT. I'm going to figure out 
how to distribute those tokens and NFTs based on certain actions or status. I'm also going to think about what are the things that people can do to earn the tokens or NFTs moving forward. Should I also be thinking upfront about what are the benefits or the rewards of owning that yes. that token or NFT and have that upfront of like, upfront. if you own X amount or if you own this NFT, you're going to get, I guess it's like access to events or the ability to vote on things. Yeah, there's two things. So when creators are applying at Rally, there's four questions that we look through and I help some of my the people I've onboarded to fill out the application is obviously, who are you? Which you did a great job. Two is, how do you do marketing to communicate you have something around this? And then three is, talk about why people would hold your coin or NFT. And that means they earn or buy it and they keep it. And over time, hopefully it increases and maybe could increase in value. But there's perks involved with being a coin holder or an NFT holder. The fourth question is, Tell me about the perks and rewards, we call them campaigns, where people would redeem those coins or tokens for what? Three things. Products, services, or experiences. Mm -hmm. So just to back up, point three, Mm. why would people hold the coin? What are the benefits? And then fourth, what products, goods, or services, products, yeah, products, services, or experiences would they use to redeem with the coin? Mm. So transactions. So you have to have both of those in place before you receive a rally token. Got it. It's a business plan, frankly. Yeah, right. Or like a lot of projects will have their roadmap is kind of what they talk about as well, which both includes maybe rewards. Well, that's a little different. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's tied. Yes, it's tied. True, that is different. Yeah, because it's also like what you plan to launch or build in the future around the token or NFT. It's also tied and your community is going to want to see that as well. Right. So yeah, NFT projects I've bought into, they'll say, here's our roadmap. We're going to start with our mints, with our drop, and then we're going to add these other NFT companions to it, or we're going to build a world where you're going to be able to use your NFTs to do these things. Or a game or whatever. And so they can sell the vision, sell the utility of the NFTs without having to build it all up front. Yeah. But be careful. I think a lot of those roadmaps have been BS, frankly. Be very careful. Yeah. I mean, I would only really promise what you can really truly commit to. Yeah. I love the ones that are like, yeah, next year we're going to launch in the metaverse with our entire universe built out. So like, okay, like the world isn't even there yet, let alone your project. No, no, no. Yeah. No, there's no way. No. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. And I think it's important just at this point to remind, I'm even thinking about this for CMX. It's like, there's kind of no going back once you let the genie out of the bottle or the toothpaste out of the tube. You can't get it back in. If we launch a token, it's hard to experiment with this and then later say like, eh, did this work or not? Yeah, that's right. Because once people own it, they have expectations around it and forever (laughs) they will expect that that token will continue to have value. Yeah, this could end in disaster, right? And this was in my tweet. (laughs) Like if you do this to an immature community, you're going to destroy your reputation, frankly, forever. Like you could really hurt yourself. Because the only options you would have to make people whole would to be to buy back the token at least at the price they purchased it. Mm-hmm, right. So do you have that type of money sitting around to do that to make people whole? I mean, that would be the least. Or you just say, hey, uh, buyer beware. Too bad. Sorry. Sorry it didn't work out. Are there any situations where there's no financial component to it? It's just owning a token and getting access, but there's no value assigned to that token? Like, what if you can't buy or sell it, right? Like, it's not, do you have to post it to a marketplace? I don't even think you would need Web3 then. I mean, there's a big component of the token, and the tokens often have to go on the open market. Mm. 
so social tokens, by the way, are used just for redeeming perks, right? It's not supposed to have a financial upside. And there's actually a legal framework called the Howey test from the SEC, and it asks questions, you know, on is this a security? So we're delving in too far. But social tokens pass that test because they're not securities. They're used for accessing perks. But often those social tokens have monetary value on the open market because if your perks are valuable, and they should be, right. somebody wants to pay for them in X currency, which could be US right. dollars or could be in Chinese yuan, whatever it is, right? So there's no way to not have a token on the open market like because people can put it on the market? No, you can. You can have, I mean, sorry, not just an open market, but a market. So right. there are tokens on, quote, side chains, like, for example, VV, which I think you know about. I don't know about that, actually. Their tokens are gems in their side market. Okay. So, yeah, you could have it in the, it doesn't matter. The point is, if you're building a community, there's some type of value here, right? So somebody, the value can be exchanged for something else, mm. value exchange. So, mm. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing here for Web3 versus Web2 is now there's true understanding of value of the content and relationships that we built into this. And now it can be transacted for better and for worse. There's upsides and downsides here, as you can tell. Mm. Hmm. So how are you feeling, David? Like, like I'm just curious, put you <laughs> on the spot. Like, yeah. are you going to lean into this? Like, Would you do this? I think I gave you a pretty honest view. Yeah, no, this is the most I've understood what this would look like in practice for a community like CMX. I think the long-term, like the forever commitment of it is one of the scarier things of like, it's just hard to test. It's hard to experiment with and then pull back later. So it's like, if we're going to do it, it's like we have to feel really confident that this is going to be a core part of our community for as long as our community exists. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. it excites me so much to think about the impact. I think it would have a very positive impact for our leaders, for the people who have been contributing so much to our community, I think they'll feel validated and supported and valued. And I think it would drive more people to contribute in big ways because, I mean, like I said, we've been doing it for eight years. Everyone who's been doing it have been doing it for purely social reasons, for impact reasons, not for financial reasons. So because we have such a strong foundation on that front, I think that we might be able to weather the impact of introducing Uh financial incentives. So there's some ways to do this in a controlled, short-term way. You could just have tokens for a year, right? And and just say they're only going to be valid. Actually, I don't know how that would work. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you could just do it like an NFT that's a member pass, but it's only for 2022. Right. Right. Or maybe, I don't know, it's just hard, like the mechanics of this. Like there's got to be a way, maybe you could just do it for local events or something smaller, right? I do like that cap because essentially what that does is it also limits the amount of trading that will happen around it because who's going to buy a token or an NFT that is going to lose its value 100% in six months, right? That's right. So it's like the people who own it will value it. Some people will value if they're like, oh, I really want access to that event this month and it's worth this much. Okay, I'll pay for that. But it just caps the transactional value of it in a way that makes it reasonable to say like, okay, let's do it for a year. And if it didn't really feel like it worked, then we could just kind of remove it. And hey, the people mm-hmm. who got the tokens got value out of it. And yep. that value was the access, not the financial upside. For a short-term test, I think NFTs would be the way to go versus tokens. Mm. Like you have, like you could sell a membership pass to an event, to a couple different events and each one has an NFT to it. That could be, or it's a membership pass that it gives you access to multiple events for a set period of time. 
Mm. I think that would be a lot easier to try that out. Mm. I mean, but it's so similar to what you already have, which is a ticketing system. Right. Right. And I'm sure like Eventbrite, whatever. Yeah. We give all of our hosts and stuff free access to our event, like big conferences. We kind of already do that. I know. I know. It's so similar. But it's a good test because you can like start with it and say like, hey, after a year, if this goes really well, then we're going to extend it. We're just going to open it up after that. Yeah. And maybe introduce tokens, right? But we have, we're letting you up front that in 12 months, we may cut this entirely or we'll extend it depending on how it goes. And as long as you make that super clear up front, mm-hmm. then it gives you that ability to test in a more constrained way. I have a list on my blog of these many companies, big corporations, brands that have launched NFTs, and many of them do have perks and for set period of times. For example, Applebee's just launched an NFT. Yes, the restaurant. And if you, whoever buys it. I saw that. They're meta, meta burger or something. <laughs> that's right. If you purchase it, then you can access free meals for a year. <laughs> they send you a gift card, by the way. Right. Of a couple thousand dollars. Right. It's yeah. cool story, right? But then you would own that, that art and you say, Hey, look, I got free meals for a year. So, and so that's a great way for them to test and learn, right? Because big corporations are risk averse. Totally. So that might be a way to do it. Yeah. And in theory, that NFT could still hold value beyond that because you'll still own the NFT. It won't disappear from your wallet after a year unless that's built into the contract, I guess. Maybe you could do that. That's right. You could do it and you could put it. But let's say the art is like cool and people want to make it into a thing. And it's edition one, right? Like it becomes as part of history. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. It might still do that, but that's like. That's like up to the community to determine. And you could also brand it as like, I'm the first phase, the first cohort, the early adopter, the MVP, right? Like the astronaut, right? Right. The person who's going to go out and explore you. And you give them that moniker that they're risk taker in a way too, right? And they'll understand that. Mm. So you could use mm. it that way. Yeah. So it has social capital, right? Yeah. So essentially what you can do is say like, we're releasing this thing. We're only going to release so many this year, and they're going to be tied to perks That's right. that are only That's right. available yes. for this year. That's right. Yes, there might be financial value. Yes, they might have their own inherent value. If all of you feel like, cool, we want to take the CMX NFT or token and make it into something that we can buy and trade, then like that's up to you. But we're going to stop distributing it and offering perks for it that's right. after 12 months if we feel like this test didn't work out. If it did work out, we're going to start adding more perks and extending it and continue to distribute it. Two things on that. Yes, you could say those who were the first to be in the MVP program have first right access to get the next program, right? So you set it up like that. Like there's additional things that you could do it. One thing I want to check you on, this is important, and you have to talk to your legal team, but we usually will not want to promise any financial upside at all. So you have to be careful. Right. It's not a security. In the language, it's not a securities. Thank you. It's about accessing perks, right? Right. Yeah, that's an important piece. Yeah, you leave all the financial future. You don't talk about future finances at all. Right. Right. In that case, right. There's no, you do not speculate on future value. The market can do what the market will do. We don't have control over that. In some cases, we don't even want it to happen. But like we said, if people want to buy and sell it, they can do that. But this is really about, we're giving you the tokens in order to access perks. Those perks are going to stop in 12 months. And you don't even, in theory, have to reissue new NFTs and new tokens because you could always just like extend the perks for those tokens if you decide to do that. That's right. Once a 12-month test is done. If there's anybody who's set up to do this, honestly, it's you, man, Mm. and your leaders and the community, right? Like they're going to experiment and try to figure this out. In communities, there's often the asshole quotient, like what percentage of them are assholes? I'll bet you guys have a very low percentage. Quite low. Because they're dealing with... (laughs) 
the asshole's in other the communities they manage, right? And they have empathy, right? Right. For community leaders that are going to take risks. Right. So, I mean, if there's anybody that can trial this out, I think it's CMX. Yeah, it could be cool. And one thing I was thinking that was exciting me in the past couple of weeks was like creating this specifically to give community professionals the opportunity to experience it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Because the best way that they might learn how this could work in their own communities is if we can essentially create a sandbox for them to play with it, to use it, to see, to be on the receiving end of it. And then we have tens of thousands of community professionals. Imagine if all of them get an opportunity to participate in a community like this and decide for themselves whether or not they want to bring it to their own communities. Yeah, it's exciting. Cool. All right. Well, Derek, our CEO, if you're listening to this podcast, this is the pitch. (laughs) I'm just going to send this to him and see what he says. I was going to ask, was there anything that's missing that we should be thinking about before we would consider launching token or NFT project? I think we covered the gamut. All right. I think we're good. That means we're ready for the rapid fire question round. Yeah, let's do it. All right. They're real quick. I'm going to ask them quick. You can answer them quick. First question, how do you define community? A group of people with a common cause. Common cause. Simple, straightforward. I like it. Yeah, I don't know if that's the best answer. They don't always agree, but that's one answer. (laughs) That's an answer. There's no wrong answers here. That's an answer. Okay. There's no wrong answers in the rapid fire question round, especially because you have to think of them on the spot. So they should be a little bit wrong, actually. (laughs) Next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? I've been part of some probably some of the Second Life communities where weird things were going on mm. and weird things flying around, literally. Are you still in Second Life? No, you know, I logged in actually this week for the first time in 10 Is years. Still and going? I found out I have 400 Linden dollars <laughs> nice. in there. I don't know what, like how that happened. Maybe it was like rewarding me over time. Yeah, I couldn't actually figure out how to log in correctly, like to experience it. So I don't know what's going on there. It's like one of the OG metaverses, which is like a yeah, whole thing we really didn't is. even get. It. We'll save that for the next one, like communities in the metaverse. Another time, yeah. All right, next question. What's a food that makes you think of home? Mom's spaghetti, man. Just like M&M. Mom's spaghetti. (laughs) All right, love it. Next question. What's a book that has had a huge impact on your life? Yeah, and I think it's still very applicable to today's conversation. The Clue Trade Manifesto. Why does it have a big impact on your life? And like that one, I was going to ask what's your favorite book related to community as well, but I feel like that one is related to community already. Yeah, that would be it as well. Because it set out the foundations of what a democratic internet is supposed to be. It's about the participants and the people and, and the conversations that they have. And by the way, it still hasn't even come to fruition 20-something years later, right? It's still not doing it right. Yeah, There's already multiple internets and it's fragmented. So yeah, in a way, it's a tome and a guidepost, but people don't even know what it is anymore. I know. It's an old book. Read it. It's still relevant. It's very relevant. Super, maybe more relevant now than before. More relevant. Next question. What's one piece of advice you have for new community builders? A community leader, community builders, the first one's it's about serving them. It's not about you. I've seen some people make the community about them and that's pretty short-lived. So serving others. Love it. When do you feel most like yourself? Early morning, before dawn, the house is quiet. I grab my coffee. I can do what I want. I can go do fitness. I can manage my my work or I can blog. That's my quiet time. That's when I'm most like myself. The lights are dim. Nobody looks at me. It's, I'm doing my own thing. Love that. Same here. Who in the world of community would you most like to take for lunch? Community is such a broad term. Right now, because of the news, 
I would take Mark Zuckerberg out to lunch mm. so I can share with him what I think is happening in the world. Mm. Have a thing or two to share with him. Yes. What is really community? Mm. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one short piece of advice on how to live, what would that advice be? Find a purpose. Why is that your advice? So many people are living their life rudderless. They will take whatever job is offered to them. They'll work with whatever company just gives them an offer. I understand some people don't have a lot of choices, but if you have a clear vision and a mission on what type of relationships you'll have with your loved ones or how you'll treat your body and, and have clear goals, or even in your career, like having a career mission, all those things will help you to reduce the amount of decisions that you need into the core things that will truly make you happy and fulfilled. Love it. Jeremiah, I appreciate you. I guess lastly, where can people go to find you, continue to learn from you? Sure. I have a blog, Web Strategist. I'm also on Twitter, quite active. J. Ao Yang, my first initial last name. Awesome. Well, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, going through this. This is definitely like the deepest we've gone into Web3 on the show. And I feel like you have such a good way of translating it into a way that feels approachable and other community builders can understand. You are one of the few people out there who I think understands community in Web2 and Web3 really deeply. And I mean, you've just been someone who I've continued to learn from over the last 13 years in my work. You're always someone that I've seen as a mentor, as a leader, as someone that has advocated for this industry and this work. And it's really cool to be able to have you on the show and be able to have a conversation like this. And same to you, David, you're a rock with a commitment towards community and the real strength to stay focused on that and continue to renew your passion. So thank you for having me as I flutter around from trend to trend and I get to come back multiple times, actually, as the trends emerge. And so it's like I'm be fluttering out into the like, look, I found this, Paul, and I come back to you, the colony where the, the real <laughs> professionals are, and then I flutter out again. So thank you. I love it. We have a symbiotic relationship. There and I we see go. that there's that thread of community through yeah, absolutely. all the twists and turns that you've taken. So excited to see where we come back together next. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.